So I know what I said, but let me stop you right there. It isn't just Satsuma, Choshu, and Tosa in the winning coalition during the Boshin War. They built and grew a coalition on the fly, sure, and they enforced compliance, which held the coalition together. And if we profiled all of the members of that coalition, it would be its own podcast. So instead, let's focus on what, in my opinion, is the most important one outside the core trio, and that is Saga, alias Hizen. Friday Night History number 51, Season 2, Episode 18, Boshin War, Part 6, Saga Domain, and Mr. Facing Both Ways. Believe it or not, you might have heard of Saga Domain already. You might be familiar with the book Hagakure, Hidden Leaves, by Yamamoto Tsunetomo. This is a book widely cited, even in the West, as a quintessential text of that rather ahistorical notion of Bushido, quote-unquote. But what you might be missing without the historical and geographic context is that Yamamoto Tsunetomo was a retainer of the Nabeshima clan, which was the family that ruled Saga Domain until 1871. But this was early in the Edo period when the Domain was still new, and our discussion today is about Saga Domain in the late Edo period and the Boshin War. Even though it had a reputation for fence-sitting in the volatile politics of the late Edo period, Saga Domain was in my view, the most technologically advanced of the victorious coalition, and this was for the simple reason that its territory abutted the shogunate-held international port of Nagasaki. Saga was routinely entrusted with port security, and especially from the early 19th century on, it took an interest in foreign affairs. But even if it hadn't, it was in the immediate vicinity of the most regular foreign visitors to Japan, so some measure of interest and attention was, I think, inevitable. But perhaps the most influential incident that drove this active interest was the Phaeton incident. This was the incident we talked about on a prior episode of this podcast. The incident involved a Royal Navy ship, the Phaeton, under the command of Fleetwood Broughton Reynolds Pellew, barreling past inadequate Saga coast defenses and bringing the Napoleonic Wars to Nagasaki. The confrontation was ultimately bloodless, save for the city magistrate who committed seppuku and atonement, but it drove Saga Domain's interest in learning from foreign military developments in order to avoid a repeat performance of this. All of this was well before the Perry mission. The Saga Daimyo for much of the 1850s and 1860s was Nabeshima Naomasa. He was a visionary leader who oversaw much of the Domain's technological and medical advancements. It was also under his tenure that Japan's massive wave of smallpox vaccination began, a campaign initiated under Naomasa's auspices, benefiting from his personal protection and in defiance of shogunate policy, I might add. During his tenure, Saga was also a leader in shipbuilding, thanks to the work of Tanaka Hisashige, who was hired at Naomasa's invitation. Tanaka Hisashige was also the preeminent roboticist of his time, worked with steam engines, and was a founder of what became Toshiba. Later in the 1860s, when the shogunate liquidated its naval academy in Nagasaki and many of its affiliated installations, Saga Domain absorbed them and used them to further bolster its own military power and industrial base. As a result, Saga Domain in the 1860s was one of Japan's most technologically advanced domains and militarily formidable. But here's the thing. Nabeshima Naomasa also developed a reputation as a fence-setter. He's even mentioned in American sources of the time as Mr. Facing Both Ways. We got to see Nabeshima Naomasa in an earlier episode of this podcast, 
The Doctor and the Daimyo, which discussed Naomasa's illness early in the war, and his invitation of U.S. Navy physician Dr. Samuel Pelman Boyer to come treat him at the Saga Domain Estate in Kyoto for what was eventually discovered to be mercury poisoning. Boyer was, consequently, also the first American to visit Kyoto. Now, on the eve of the Boshin War, Nabeshima Naohiro was the recently ensconced daimyo of Saga, but his father Naomasa continued to wield significant influence on the domain's affairs. But fairly shortly after the war's outbreak, the fence-setting ended, and Saga threw in with the Sacho Tou Coalition. It became one of the victorious coalition's most powerful additions by the war's end. In the Meiji era, a decent number of oligarchs and high society figures were from Saga. Diplomat and later Home Minister Soejima Taneomi, historian Kume Kunitake, Agriculture Minister Sano Tsunetami, who is also famous for having founded the Japan Red Cross, politician and educational and legal reformer Ooki Takato, and Waseda University founder and Prime Minister Okuma Shigenobu were all from Saga Domain. But all of that was in the future on the eve of war in late 1867. So let's get back to Saga going from fence-sitting to siding with Satsuma, Choshu, and Tosa. What, you may well ask, changed? In my opinion, there are two salient reasons. First was a practical concern in the form of a likely invasion from Satsuma, which wasn't all that far away to the south. Saga might have had a technological edge, but Satsuma had the advantage in terms of size of both its domain and that of the domain's fighting force. Satsuma could count on the support of its immediate neighbors that lay between it and Saga, fiefs like the Hosokawa clan's Higo domain, more than Saga could count on them resisting any attack by Satsuma. Higo domain wasn't small, mind you. At 520,000 koku, it actually was the fourth largest domain in Japan after Kaga, Satsuma, and Sendai. Higo was also about 200,000 koku larger than Saga. But given the power and influence Satsuma wielded even beyond Kyushu by late 1867, Higo offering anything more than token resistance was, in my view, very, very unlikely. But most importantly of all as to why Saga's fence-setting ended was that word got out that the combined Satsuma, Choshu, and Tosa force that had resisted the shogunate army at the Battle of Toba Fushimi was now bearing the imperial banners. Regardless of true intention, the understanding was anybody who fired on the force carrying the imperial banners was automatically guilty of treason against the imperial throne. I can't overstate this bit. The psychological impact of the imperial banners appearance on the landscape of the war's crucial opening weeks. We'll talk about this again in future episodes because it really is important in understanding why the balance shifted so dramatically so early in the war. And in this case, forcing Saga Domain's hand and ending its fence-sitting wound up benefiting the Southern Coalition and further bolstering its technological edge. Following its entry into the Southwestern Coalition, Saga Domain forces were present throughout most of the war's major battles all the way to the end of the war in Hakodate. But inasmuch as Saga Domain had backed the winning side, it was not so simple. Like Satsuma men, most notably led by Saigo Takamori, who later took part in the Satsuma Rebellion, some disaffected Saga retainers who'd entered the Meiji era as high government officials eventually instigated an uprising in their home territory in the 1870s. Eto Shimpei, a Saga retainer who became justice minister and imperial counselor in the very early Meiji era, was one of the leaders of the Saga disturbance, Saga no Ran, an ultimately failed uprising in 1874. But even this did not turn back the clock, and Saga Domain was no more. Its daimyo was ennobled in the new peerage, and its territory is mostly part of what is today called Saga Prefecture, 
Sagaken, though a bit of it lies in neighboring Nagasaki Prefecture. And that's all for Saga Domain, and that's all for this opening arc of the Boshin War Saga on Friday Night History. We'll be going back to some one-off episodes for the next little while, because as mentioned recently, I want to recapture some of the delightful spontaneity that was a hallmark of this project as it began so long ago as a regular Twitter thread. But the Bushing series will continue in arcs of a few episodes at a time going forward. So please look forward to Act 1 of the Bushing War, an ending and a beginning, which leads off with the situation on the eve of war, including the international hubbub surrounding the opening of Hyogo, modern Kobe, as a treaty port. The arc continues through the war's opening acts and wraps up with the rout after Tokugawa Yoshinobu abandoned his army in the field and ran away to Edo by ship. It's a complicated topic to concisely cover, especially for a broad audience, and I won't get to every last detail of every last battle, but this isn't simply a retelling of events in every last excruciating detail. Rather than just a retelling, we're also trying to understand why the war went the way it did in some measure of nuance. So I hope you look forward to the continuation of this series, both in podcast form and in eventual book form, for which these episodes are serving as a first draft. Again, my thanks to you, the listeners, as well as to my patrons at patreon.com slash riversidewings, whose support keeps the lights on and allows me to devote 100% of my time and energy to being an independent scholar and author. You're amazing, folks. Thank you. With that, I will see you next time. I'm Nairi, and this is Friday Night History. Now, questions? Friday Night History is a historical romp with your favorite history dyke, Dr. Nairi A. Bakalyan. Our theme is Buga Blue, performed by the U.S. Army Blues, written by Craig Friedrich and available royalty-free at pixabay.com music. Support this podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash riversidewings. Thank you for being the wind beneath my wings. And remember, who you are and what lights your fire is worth fighting for. I'll see you around.